Welcome to the Sisters in Crime Writers Podcast. Everyone has a unique writing journey, so join us for conversations about those journeys from the writers themselves. Julie Henricus, the Executive Director of Sisters in Crime, and I am really honored to welcome Ellen Hart to the podcast this week. Ellen is the author of 35 crime novels. She's won numerous awards, including the Lambda Literary Award for Best Lesbian Mystery and the GCLS Trailblazer Award for Lifetime Achievement in the field of lesbian literature. She's taught writing for 17 years through the Loft Literary Center, the largest independent writing community in the nation. In 2017, Ellen was named a Grand Master by Mystery Writers of America. This award was established to acknowledge important contributions to the genre, as well as for a body of work that is both significant and of consistent high quality. And she certainly fit the criteria for that. Ellen, welcome to the podcast. Hi, I'm delighted to be here. Well, I'm really honored to to have a conversation with you. Um, But I'm going to start the conversation the way I usually start them on this podcast and ask you, when did you tell yourself, I want to write a book? Oh, gosh. Um, Well, I was in my mid-30s, probably. Um, I think I'd... You know, I I have this feeling that 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 people who love to read, at least a, a, quite a few of them, harbor this desire to write, mm-hmm. um, and that was me. Uh, and I I think I probably thought, well, sometime in my life I'm going to try it. Um, but I had I was working at a uh, sorority at the University of Minnesota, and um, I had my summers free, and so. I thought, you know, this is a perfect time instead of wasting my summers, you know, doing whatever I was doing, painting the garage. Um, <laughs> I would um, I would I thought I would put my hand to to trying to write. And a number of things at that time sort of pointed me towards a mystery. And so I began. So tell me about, uh, you know, leading up your uh, avid reader, but um, and things pointing towards a mystery. Tell me a little bit more about the journey, the journey of of developing the craft. Sure. Um, Well, I guess I mean, I'd always loved mystery novels and I'd always read them. Um, My parents gave me a copy of the uh, uh, Sherlock Holmes canon when I was a kid, and every time I got sick, I would grab that book and, and you know, dive into bed and just read it. And I have a very bad memory, so um, <laughs> I could reread the stories and I never remembered who did what to whom. And, you know, so, um, but as I grew, I, you know, I think I, I continued to, to read mysteries. About, you know, time, I guess I was 36 or so, there was a mystery in writer in Minnesota named Kate Green and she'd written a book called Shattered Moon and I was I read it and I was just blown away and I knew she was local and I knew she was a she was a poet as well as a writer and and I thought well maybe 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 this is maybe this is something I should try and long about that same time I started listening to uh 
the PBS mysteries mm-hmm. and um and there was uh they were doing the the um pd james mysteries at the time and they would in during in this one series they would interview her um at the end for you know a few minutes they ask her a few questions and when i was listening one night they asked her the question they said you know you're a really good writer uh you could have written anything so why mysteries essentially meaning you know why genre fiction and she said well you know i thought I will write a mystery and it will teach me to construct a novel and then I'll move on to the real thing, which of course in her mind was, and in the mind of the questioner, was um, a literary novel. Mm -hmm. But she said, I learned very quickly that there was nothing that I wanted to talk about or explore that I couldn't do within the context of a mystery. And she said, beyond that, she said, Mysteries are set in the moral universe. And that those two comments really got me. Yeah. Um, because I had a degree, I have a degree in uh theology. I'm 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 not a religious anymore, but but I'm I'm still very interested in in spirituality and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm very interested in, in right and wrong and good and evil and those those issues and especially those the moral issues that come when, you know, you have a dilemma where you have something that is fighting with uh, a moral decision, your own survival, uh, your anger, your jealousy, you know, a- any number of things. And I just thought, this is the perfect kind of novel. If I'm going to try and write a novel, a mystery sounds absolutely like it's perfect. Mm-hmm. And I already loved them. So um, at the time I was working at this sorority, uh, I was a kitchen manager there. And I I have a, a chefing degree I got after <laughs> my I got my this very wonderful the- theological degree in theology, which was fascinating to me, but got me nowhere in terms of a job. Um, so I had had gone to cooking school and I was working in a sorority. And at the time it was the summer of, I can't remember, 85, 86, something like that. And I was at what was called a take back the night march at the time. My, my partner and I had, had gone to this march, which essentially was a lot of women getting together. Um, and we got permits to walk through the downtown and to essentially it was essentially saying we have a right to be safe at night mm-hmm. um while i was there i saw one of the sorority girls um i i, I didn't like the the term girls but they really were <laughs> in some way in so many ways um anyway the young women i saw a young woman who was a member of the sorority and she had on a lavender sash, which essentially said that she was a lesbian. Well, mm-hmm. I knew she wasn't out at the sorority. And I thought, wow, that must be an interesting situation because, you know, sororities are very heterosexual there. You you base things on what you do with a, a fraternity. And it's, you know, it's I would imagine it's a lot of fun. It seemed like they were having a good time. But um I, I I was pretty sure she wasn't out. So that got me thinking, well, that would be an interesting nugget of a mystery. 
Mm-hmm. And um, so then I started writing, got about 200 pages and realized I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Um, at which point I went and essentially did what I have, t- you know, taught my students. I, I intuitively did what I taught them to do, which is you go and you deconstruct books. And mm-hmm. I used P.D. James's novels, m- mysteries, and I would read them and then I would I would deconstruct them. I would try and see how she plotted, how she developed character, how she uh, foreshadowed, how she paced, all of those things. And I did that the following winter after I'd writ- written this awful draft. Um, and uh, I started over. I started again. And at the end of the following summer, I had a book I liked very much. But, um, you know, I, it was uh, showtime and <laughs> time to put it out into the world and see if anybody else liked it. So. Um, I love the advice of, you know, reading a book that you love, but reading it as a writer. So how did they do that? I think that a lot of times we will read a book first time through as a reader, and then you look at it again and think, how did did they pull that off? Um, But P.D. James is quite the um, master to be... to be going through and, you know, secrets and lies and, and um, so complexity. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's a wonderful master class that you gave yourself. Well, I think if you, if you look at, I mean, I remember something Dennis Lehane said once he said, you know, go find a book and uh, look at it, a really good book and look at it and decide what the chasm is between what they're doing and what you're doing. And I think that's in a nutshell, what you're trying to do when you are deconstructing a book. Yeah. 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 Well, it's, um, so tell me about the journey of that book then. Did you, um, keep working on it? Did you write the next one while, while figuring out publication paths? How did you, how did you continue? Well, yeah, it, you know, it's, I think every writer has a, has their own odyssey. Um, I was, I sent that book off to, I went and got a copy of the writer's market because I knew absolutely nothing about publishing. Mm-hmm. And I, I learned in that how to write a query letter. And I looked through there and, and found a press that I thought might publish a mystery novel that had a lesbian main character. Um, and, you know, this was a long time ago. This was, 40, almost 40 years ago. And so um, I wrote the press and they, um, I don't know, two, three days later, the uh, woman who owned the press called me and she said uh, a number of things. um, Some of which she's, you know, (laughs) this is a long story, but she said, you know, we, um, we'd, we'd love to see your book. And I asked her why. And she said, well, you write a literate query letter. And I thought, well, oh, um, that should have been a red flag <laughs> about the quality of books they were receiving. But I, at the time, I didn't understand that. And she said, send us the book and we'll look at it. Okay. At the time, I think that book was maybe, I'm guessing about close to 90,000 words. Mm-hmm. She said, we won't even look at it if it's over 65 and I thought, all right. Uh, so I went back and I took, I mean, I looked, I looked at every chapter. I looked at every 
paragraph. I looked at every sentence. I looked at every word. And to this day, I think that's one of the best paced novels. I mean, it reads like a first novel, but it, it, it's one of the best paced novels because I did that. I was ruthless. And I think I got it down to about 71,000 words and I sent it off and they eventually, uh, she called me back and she said, well, you know, um, our reader hasn't been this excited about a book and whatever. And, and just, I'm just going to assure you that when we get through editing your book, that it's going to be so fabulous. You won't even know it. Okay. Um, I, you know, I knew nothing about publishing, but I did have an ego (laughs) and she had kind of stepped all over it. And I thought, all right, I need to do a little, little looking at this press. So I went to a few bookstores. I talked to some people at the women's bookstore in town, um, found out some things I didn't really like. And I withdrew the book at which point this woman found me at work and said, you can't withdraw the book because we've spent X number of thousands of dollars on it. And I'll tell you, I was, I'm, I'm not shy, but I'm, this, this woman was like talking to a, a, a jet engine. I mean, she was a very powerful person and she really scared me. But I, I said, look, I haven't signed anything. Mm -hmm. and uh so I'm sorry but I'm withdrawing the book and I I didn't really want to tell her that I found some things out about the press that I didn't like and I just said let's let it go with that and I thought well that's the end of my career (laughs) I figured that was the only press that would publish then um a friend in town had been publishing through seal press she had been doing translations of uh Norwegian novels for Seal Press. And she said, well, you know, the the editor at Seal Press um, is is a mystery novelist. And uh, so I quick went and read one of her books and she said, well, um, you know, why don't you send it? I'll, I'll, I'll call her. Why don't you send it to them? So I did. And I think within a week I had a contract. Wow. So, um, that was pretty easy, you know, as, uh, but then book two, I mean, she said, well, are you going to write another, my editor said, are you going to write another book? And I thought, oh, oh, I guess maybe I should try that. So I sent in, I wrote another book. I sent it to them. They didn't like it. They sent back some things they wanted me to change. I truly didn't agree with what they were telling me to do. So I wrote a third novel, Mystery, and I sent it to them and they rejected that. And I thought, okay, what did I do with my first novel that I obviously uh, was not able to do with the next two? Um, And I thought about it for about a year and talked to some friends. um, And 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 I'll tell you, this is a this is a this is a story that I have told all of my writing classes because I think it's really instructive. Um, What I was trying to do with that second book that I hadn't done with the first book was that I would, I rushed it. Mm. And that book was nowhere near finished. Um, as a, as a novel, as a mystery, when I sent it to them. And what I learned from that was you cannot send an, an editor. Editors are all very busy people. 
They have a lot of things going on, a lot of books coming in. You can't send a book to them hoping that they'll find the nugget of genius in the direct you sent them, you know? Um, So I had perfected that. I mean, the first book I could, I could re I could repeat that to you in my sleep. I th- I mean I knew that book so well because I'd gone over it so minutely and for so long. I hadn't done that with a second book. It was amorphous. It just wasn't there. So I put that on the shelf and then I wrote this this third book, which they also rejected. In the third book, I did something else that I think was a problem. And I think it's something instructive for writers, and that is what they told me when they when they when I sent in the third book and they they wrote back and they didn't like it, they wanted me to beef up the lesbian characters and the feminist stuff in the book. And you know, I was a mystery reader, so I wasn't a novice at that. And I knew that I mean, you can take a position in a book as a as a writer, but most most of the time, I mean, what you're writing is entertainment. Mm-hmm. You're writing something that ultimately may make you think, may teach you something about what it is to be human. But in in the main, you're writing something that should be fun to read or interesting enough or compelling enough that it, it, it keeps you keeps you going. Well, in that third book, I was pandering. Mm-hmm. I was writing the book I thought they wanted. And clearly I did. Didn't have a clue what they wanted. So... I again thought about it some more and took some time and essentially did every I did the exact opposite of everything they told me I had to do. I took out some of the lesbian characters because they didn't fit to t- I mean you have to tell a story through the characters that you've chosen. Mm-hmm. If you choose the wrong characters, you can't tell the story. So I took out some of those characters. I took out some of the feminist quote unquote stuff um because it slowed the story down. Mm-hmm. It was not necessary, and did you know? Essentially, what they told me not to do, I, I did, and um, but I, but I, but the book was more readable, and I sent it to them, and lo and behold, they took it, even though I had not done what they asked, um, and so what that taught me, and what I could pass on to my students over the years was, you know, okay, um, so what's hot right now? Well. Um, legal thriller or oh gosh when Dan Brown was the, doing the Da Vinci Code stuff everyone everybody wanted to write a Da Vinci Code clone and the I mean if that is your passion go for it but if you're trying to just catch the crest of a market that doesn't work the book that you write is got to be something that you're passionate about that sustains your uh attention for the amount of time it takes to write a novel and that that's a long time. So um, you, so I think not pandering and not turning a book in before it's as absolutely perfect as you can make it were two lessons that I think helped me enormously. And ever since then I've been published. Wow. Um, And you know, this, so late 80s, early 90s um, is before computers. Uh, you know, I, I don't 
sometimes I try to explain to my nieces and nephews what it was like to go to compute, go to college without computers, you know, yeah. and type typing papers and yeah. um and drafts. So you're typing, you're you know, sending things snail mail. You're looking at Writer's Marketplace, which is a enormously expensive book that people would buy every year to get the up to date. Um, you know, what's going on. So you're, when you're rewriting these books and you're figuring things out, you're literally rewriting. You're not just cutting things out and putting them in a separate file. You're exactly. Yeah. And so was that, which is a process that mar- I marvel at. I, I can't even imagine the, you know, <laughs> the stamina that it takes to retype and rework things. Um, but was that process helpful as you're literally recreating it in the typewriter to sort of help you also with the editing? Hmm, I've never thought about that. Um, I would imagine that it was. And it was probably a good discipline for a new writer, for a young writer, mm-hmm. because it forced you to, to look at, I mean, you couldn't just decide, oh, here, I'm going to just move this section here and, you know, yeah, uh, whatever. Yeah. It forced you to, to look at the whole thing. I think, I think you're probably right that it did. I don't know how many times I typed that book, probably six, seven, I don't know. I did many drafts. So, yeah, I mean, there was a reason why I could repeat the words to to you. Ah. But, um, yeah, I think that's probably true. I, I think everybody, I think one of the first things that a writer does is try and figure out what your process is going to be. And, mm-hmm. I, and I do think it can change over time. But in general, I mean, I would, I, I always read through manuscripts, even when I came to the computer um, in almost the same way, at least initially that I was doing with my typewriter. Uh, It just was easier. Mm -hmm. And do you, so tell me a little bit about your process. I mean, it does evolve over time, but how do you approach a book? I mean, what's where, when you're noodling the idea to execution, everything else, what's, what's. Yeah. Well, um, sure. Um, for me, I guess I've I often write to a title. I don't I don't recommend that. It's just that 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 has happened for me. It it's a way for me to work my way thematically into the story. Um, not always, but almost always, I've had a title. So I have the title. Then I have there are certain things that I have to have in place before I can start writing. Um, number one, I have to know what the central crime is. Uh, I have to know who did it and why. Um, and then you cast the book around that crime because everybody in the, in a mystery novel, if it's, I mean, a mystery novel, I don't think you can take picnics in the middle of mystery novels that have nothing to do with the, unless you tie it to the central story. Um, so you, in the same with the characters, the characters have to at least have a possibility of being the the guilty party. So mm-hmm. you cast, I, I had to cast the book around that central crime. Um, beyond that, I needed to know the, the first chapter, which, you know, you call the hook chapter. Often mysteries are looked at as, you know, sort of hook and pull. You 
hook the person and then you pull them at the end of the chapter into the next chapter. Mm-hmm. And all the way through, you're trying to hook and pull. Um, so the first chapter had to be available to me. And then maybe the next two or three or four chapters. I, I didn't know. I'm not someone who outlined. I've I've gone back and outlined books um, to give to an editor early on, but fairly quickly I made deals with all my editors and said, you know, I, I can't do that because that's not the way I write a book. And so they were all generally speaking pretty nice about that. But um, I come to the book, I guess the same way a reader does. I, I have a lot of the ideas going, but I, in my mind, but I don't know how I'm going to get to the end. And, and yet I know two or three or four, five chapters ahead. So I'm always writing towards something. Mm-hmm. I I read once about um, E.L. Doctorow's, um, his, the, the way he wrote books. And it was, I mean, I'm not comparing myself to him, but he, we, I think we had a very similar process in that he said it's writing a book for him was like driving on a road at night. You couldn't necessarily see from your, say your garage where you start out to the restaurant where you're going to go down the highway, but you have headlights mm-hmm. and those headlights keep you on the road. And for him and for me, those headlights were the um, chapters that I could see ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was never coming absolutely cold. I knew each day what I needed to do, what plot points I needed to work on, what characters were going to be in the chapter. Hopefully the, you know, the, the, the plot points in the chapter and the crescendo and whatever needed to happen in that chapter. Um, and I would write to that, but I was never, and if I came to the end of what I could see, I had to stop writing mm. until I could see more. And some, and you know, over the years that has happened to me many times, but that to me was my process um, in terms of <laughs> writing. You know, when I when I started uh, writing fairly early on, um, Ballantine and New York came and and wanted to produce the books in in paperback, and they sent um, me and a couple of other authors that they were publishing to uh, another author who wrote a lesbian mystery and another writer who wrote a gay mystery um, on a, on a book tour around the country, which was pretty heady stuff for, you know, somebody who did a few years before was, had no idea that this was even possible. Um, and one of them said, and in, in answering to a question, they said, well, when do you write? Uh, she said, well, I write on, Saturdays and the other and they asked the guy I was on the tour with when he wrote and he said he wrote Thursday night well I didn't quite understand that <laughs> so I had to work a whole lot harder than that <laughs> to get a book done um in terms of you know the contracts so um for me it was pretty much an everyday process um there were days that I I couldn't write and as I moved deeper into my career as a writer, it became more of a problem to write when I was on, when I was out promoting. Uh, I traveled for many, many years with uh, 
two other writers, um, uh, Carl Brookins and William Kent Kruger. And we we called ourselves the Minnesota Crime Wave, and we went all over the country. And uh, and Kent could write on the road, and I think Carl did too, but I couldn't. So oh. if you were gone, if you were out for a week, and you were disconnected from that book for a week or two, and you came back and tried to pick up the pieces of the book, that was hard for me. Yeah. And so my process developed in a way to be able to deal with that as an issue because I was doing so much promotion and, um, and I, you know, and then I had deadlines. So uh, there are a number of ways to address that, how you get back into the book that you've sort of lost the the threads of, but um, yeah, I mean, writing every day, except when I was touring was pretty much what I did. But as you're at the beginning, you mentioned that you still when you sit down to start and you're building that muscle to to get the novel done, um, you do know who did it and how and why. Yes. So do you have a sense of what that last chapter is going to be? And are you writing towards that as well? Or are you is that part of the evolution? That's um, for me, at least it's part of the evolution. I mean, um. I mean, I know a number of writers very, very well. Talking about Kent Kruger, he outlines, you know, within an inch of, I mean, he knows everything's going to happen before he sets pen to paper. Um, and I'm I'm not like that. And I think, you know, if you talk to people who outline, they can't understand how you can write a book if you don't. And if you talk to people who don't outline, they can't understand why you would want to to write an outline because that process of watching it develop as you go and seeing the story start to really cook is so fun and uh compelling that you know the 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 I don't know the I think the outline would 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 sort of take away from that process for I I was sort of a hybrid in that I had to I would outline you know three four five six chapters ahead but to the end, no, I didn't know where the end, where it was going to end. I, I think some of, I mean, I think some of the best things that happened in, in all of my books were total serendipity. They were, I learned something along the way, or I was doing some research about something and that suggested something. And, you know, or one book that I, I don't know if, people like the book particularly well, but it was one of my favorite books. And you don't really know until the final page what really happened. And I love that. And if I, I don't think there's any way I could have outlined that. Right. So right. anyway. Well, I did in these conversations I had with folks, it's that, you know, they're people who hybrid, but it's, if they tend to be, as you said, people who don't plot, don't understand right. um, how you know how that works. What I marvel at is with folks who write organically, um, or you know, um, work five or six chapters ahead. Is keeping it all in your head as you're writing. I just think um, that's uh, a lot to do as well as you're you know writing. You're keeping this whole book and all these characters in your head. So to me, it does sort of make sense that you couldn't just pick it all up and do it on the road 
right. um, without your your systems in place. So when you got back from the road, and I interviewed Carl Brookins on one of these podcasts as well. Oh, wonderful. He, men- he mentioned those tours as well. Yeah. Um, but do, how did you get back into it? So for folks who to have you know, not been writing or left something or, you know, because it is a muscle you have to keep building. Um, Absolutely. How, how did you get back into it? Well, I, I, there was, I mean, there are tricks, um, you know, even the next, you know, writing every day, I would go back to the day before and mm-hmm. I would, uh, and edit that a light edit, and that would get me back into the flow and then I I could move forward with new writing. Um, sometimes I'd get stuck and find that I needed to redo more than I realized. Um, but you know, it it whatever, it's all part of the process and it gets you back into the the writing day. There were times I I we had a <laughs> we had a bat infestation in our house. Um oh. and I, I partially moved out and got very disconnected from a book at that time. And the only, and, I, and the book was uh, probably three quarters done, but I just could not get back into it. And so I realized that what I needed to do was start at the beginning. I went back to the very beginning and did what I consider to be my second draft until I got to the end of that, by which time I could see almost to the end. It For me, a book always felt very much like you were, you know, like you were walking up or pushing something very heavy up a really steep hill. But when you saw the ending, when you, when I could finally see whether it was two or three, four chapters ahead, five chapters, whatever, when I could finally see the ending, it felt like, I could come down the other side and it just, it was just, it would just roll. It would just, you know, I mean, it would, it it would, I could just see it. And there was such energy towards the, the ending of that book. Um, And that it was like, you know, here I go. I can see it now and I can, you know, head towards that ending. And um, so that was one of the key things that I would do is I would, I would take the, I mean, I always made notes on things I knew I wanted to change when I would start on the second draft. I would just take those notes and start over. Mm-hmm. If I, if I did, if I wasn't in the book anymore, and that would get me back inside the story. So how long uh, does it typically take you to write a book? Well, you know, I, I, my stories are, are, traditional mysteries they're um i suppose you could they're not truly cozy they're not they're certainly not hard-boiled maybe they're soft-boiled you know Mm -hmm. i don't know where they exactly fit but um they're fairly complex plots and because of that um They, they, yeah, they weren't as i mean there are some books there's some books that i read that are very very Oh, what's the word? They're not the kind of mystery I like. They're very thin in terms of plot and character development. And and I would imagine that that sort of book is something that you could write a couple of those a year, two, a couple, two or even three. Mm-hmm. There's a woman in town who writes um, a mystery like that. That is the kind of book I write. And therefore, it does take me longer. And it also takes me longer because I don't outline. And sometimes, you know, if I get stuck... Um, 
I don't think I've ever had writer's block uh, specifically. Oh, once I could say I did. And, but um, in general, it, it took me maybe six, eight months to rough out a book. And then um, another couple of months before I could send it off to an editor. And then of course it goes through the macro editing that you get from Mm -hmm. your editor and then it goes through copy editing and, you know, a lot of other people look at it and give you ideas and which you need, because one of the things that you are completely unable to do um, by the time you've finished a book is see it. It's, it's, you know, you, you have no perspective on that book anymore at all. So that, so your editor brings that and that's all really good. And, and, you know, for many years, because I was writing a book a year and I was doing, I was teaching and I was doing promotion. Um, I was working on three books at once. I was thinking on a, what was going to be my next book. I was writing a book and then I was either doing rewrites or promotion for a book that was already out. So, you know, my students sometimes would come to me and say things like, oh, I'd love to be a writer because, I mean, you've got so much downtime. You know, and I thought, well, I haven't found that yet. <laughs> so I was extremely busy. Absolutely. And writing um, writing series is also a, um, a different skill and a different, you know, decisions that you make with your characters, arcing them beyond the book that you're reading or thinking about them within the world. Um, Was that a challenge to you? Did you make decisions that, you know, early on in the writing the series that you wish, oh, I wish I had, if I could go back, I would undo that or. That, that's, that is a really good point because, uh, you know, when I wrote my first book, I didn't know anything about any of those things. (laughs) I created this world for my main character and for good or ill, I had to live with it. Thankfully, I liked the world that I created for her. I gave her a a brother that she loved very much, a father that she had some issues with, um, and a best friend, um, and who became a a very important part of the books. And so I, I was lucky that I gave her something that I could live with for, you know, another 20 some books. A long time. Yeah, it is a long time. Yeah. And how do you how do you keep in fresh? Well, I'll tell you from from a number of years um when Ballantine came in and bought the books from Seal Press um to put out in paperback uh as paperback originals um my editor Joe Blades asked me if I had any other books just out of curiosity. And I said, "Well, actually yes, I did." And it was the one that it was the second book I sent Seal Press that they turned down, which I had rewritten as with different characters. Oh. And um, and I think I'd made it. I mean, it's still it was my second book and still read like that came out actually as my sixth book. Um, but um, he said, well, send it to me. I'd like to see it. And as it turned out, interestingly enough, my agent had already submitted it to Random House, but it was on a different uh, editor's desk so he just went and got it and read it and liked it and offered me um uh a, another two book contract or it was three I can't remember and uh we were off and running then I had to quit my day job because I, <laughs> I couldn't do that too so yeah so that's when you became 
full-time yeah full-time right well full-time and also teacher so you've been teaching for a lot of those years as well yes yes yeah um do you still well I'm going to ask you this question though I suspect I know the answer um is it still challenging every time you sit down you think about starting a new book or you know does it get easier over time no I don't think it ever got easier um You know, I'm pretty much done now. My my press has offered me another, generously offered me another contract. But at 74, I'm just, you know, I've, I there are th- other things that I want to do, and actually, mm-hmm. I want to do more reading than I've was allowed to do during that period of time when I was writing and teaching. But no, and I'll tell you, I think that's the one thing that makes writing so compelling and so so pe- almost Pavlovian. I mean, you get nothing gets easier. And if anything, it gets harder. Um, I think maybe, oh gosh, how would I put that? It's, I, I, I think you could say that you never really learn. I know this sounds strange, but you never really learn how to, how to write. You're always learning. You're always Mm -hmm. in the process. You've never mastered it because, um, every book kind of kicks your, you know what, in a new way. I mean, you're if you're writing and you're trying to stretch and you're trying to grow, you're doing things that you've not done before. And when you haven't done them, you don't know how to, you don't know how they're going to work. And sometimes it does work and sometimes it doesn't. And, you know, doesn't matter whether they work or not. You still have to turn in a book in a, in, in, a, in a period of time in a, on deadline. And I was always extremely careful to turn books in on or before a deadline. So, um, yeah, I never felt that I had, and I mean, I, as any writer will look and say, oh my gosh, that writer is this writer, that writer is so much better than I am. Or you look at other people and say, well, I'm a better writer than that person. You, I mean, you never, I mean, you never, I mean, you start to learn where you fit. But there are so many writers that can do it better than you can. And you mm-hmm. read them and you think, how do they do that? Mm-hmm. And you want to do that. And you're always sort of swinging for the fences. And sometimes you do and you 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 achieve that and sometimes you don't. Um, sometimes, you know, I, I know there's a certain woo-woo to this. You know, my my characters sometimes do things that I don't want them to do, but they they do. I've had characters yeah. move away from from where I thought they were when I hear their voice. Their mm-hmm. voice tells me, "Oh no, they're not the person that you conceived of." And it or somebody walks on in a book. Mm-hmm. You have to really look at that because, you know, the cosmos is trying to tell you something. Mm-hmm. It's such a rich thing to write. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it's you never completely learn it, and that's a good thing. You know, yeah. Well, I so beautifully said. Um, it, it, so beautifully said, and so so inspiring on so many ways. But uh, you know, you're a teacher. You're fortunate students. Um, so you do. I mean, you're master enough to teach, but you're still learning, which I think probably helps teaching as well. Um, no, it it does. And and the thing that surprised me about teaching was that. <laughs> when I started teaching, I don't know, I had probably written three or four books, um, which 
allowed me to have a sums perspective on teaching. I didn't know if I'd be a good teacher. It turned out that I, I think I was a very good teacher. But um, but things I learned with students would ask me a question and I could answer it. It was mm-hmm. like, oh, I I had never defined how I how I went about something, but I could explain it if someone asked me, and it helped. You know, it was that back and forth between seeing what my students were doing and working with their writing, and and at the same time working on my own writing. It was a real synergy, and and for years, and that and about keeping things fresh. I'm sorry, I didn't answer that question. Um, that was the one of the things that really helped me keep things fresh was teaching. Mm-hmm. and and a writing at the same time and i'll tell you writing two different series uh i would move back and forth between them and i think that was also a good thing for keeping mm-hmm. the series fresh in your career you've seen a lot of changes in the publishing world oh boy um, we we <laughs> talked already about the writing you know tools and the way we do things but in the publishing world it has changed tremendously um even things when you talk about going out on book tours <laughs> I mean, that's a that's a thing of the past um but tell me about how you feel about this evolution of the publishing world uh, you know and and whether well, you're excited about some of the that evolution or no i'm not terribly excited about some of it um i mean i i think it's it's a i was part of the sisters in crime um uh, summit is that what it was gosh it was so many years ago 2010 when we went to google and amazon and uh smashwords and apple i think it was to to understand, to try and understand ebooks. Mm-hmm. And if this, you know, because that was very new at the time. And um, and then it became a situation of understanding the fact that we weren't going to have the same kind of gatekeepers that we'd had forever, that you could self-publish, that you could self-publish on Amazon, that you could, um, that you didn't need a vanity press anymore. You could just all of, in and of yourself publish something on a platform and you were an author. But does that make you an author? I don't know. I don't think it always does. Um, I think that books that are represented by um, agents and go to mainstream publishers, I mean, I don't think all of those books should probably be published either. They aren't all that great. But um, I think by and large, you've got a better shot reading a book that has gone through that process that has gone through editing and you know everything that a publisher does for you and without that um i think i don't know i i think it's sort of a brave new world i think people have done well with it i know authors that have self-published and have done very very well and you know that's great um i don't know that I don't know that they've necessarily, some of those authors have necessarily put in the time that they need to develop their skills, but maybe they didn't need that. I don't know. Um, I, I, that, that is, you know, I know a lot of writers today who don't think you really need to go out and talk to people. You don't need to go to bookstores. You don't need to. And I think that's invaluable. Because when you go and you you talk to people and they tell you what they think and what they like and what they're reading and all of those things, that is that to me is 
again, that's the part of the energy of writing. And I think that a lot of writers don't have that today. Um, I mean, you have to have some sort of water cooler. And for what, for me, that was, I had a lot of writer friends during the, the 30 years I wrote and we would talk to each other every day. You know, I remember calling a writer friend of mine and saying, I'm sorry, am I bothering you? And he said, Oh, bother me. Ask me what color socks I'm wearing. You know, I mean, he was so sick of what he was doing. And I mean, because it is, I mean, writing isn't just a joy every minute. It's hard work. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, that's, that scares me, this idea that, that there are no gatekeepers because I think sometimes those gatekeepers kept books from being published that should have been published. And that's when I think these small boutique presses that I published with early on, um, they really help because they will take books that mainstream New York presses won't touch, but should be published. They're, they're perfectly great books, but they just can't find an agent and then they can't, which is very difficult. And they can't find an editor, which is very difficult. The thing that scares me more than anything else right now is AI. Mm -hmm. And I just got done reading a book, which I would recommend to everybody. It's called The Coming Wave. Um, And it's by a guy who has spent his life working in AI. And the first, say, two thirds of the book is extraordinary. The things that are going to be possible and be available um, to us in not a very long period of time at all. And the last third of the book is the most terrifying thing I think I've ever read in my whole life. And I'm trying to get my friends to read this book and, you know, I'm not being very successful, but, um, it's AI can do things. I mean, I don't know if you saw 60 minutes last weekend, they had the guy who was called the godfather of AI and he worked for Google for many years and he was talking that one of the things he was talking about was that AI is going to be smarter than we are. And it is. And I mean, the bandwidth that you have in your head is only so much AI computer systems, especially when we get to quantum computing, is going to do rings around us. Um, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. And that is truly that is this is truly the unknown in a way that we have never seen as humans so um but it just in terms of writing i think it's going to have uh, a huge impact on writing huge impact i agree you said you know sisters in crime is um part of a group that the authors guild has put yes. together of other organizations that are talking about this and trying to get ahead of um copyright law and we're already so behind um in ai so it's good it's hard to put it all back in the bottle but oh, you all of the concerns are uh, are valid times 10, uh, you yeah. know, it, and the tools, it's interesting. It can be some great tools, but um, we have got to, we're behind. So I'm going to put that name of that book in the show notes for oh, this great, <laughs> podcast great. episode so we can all read it because it is, um, it is a um, really a year ago, we weren't even talking about it. Look what's yeah. happened since. Yeah. Um, and I would think in five years. Oh, yeah. Five years, we'll be living in a different world. Oh, yeah. Uh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, 
and we need to we need to, we can we need to manage that world as much as we can. We can't just blithely go forward. We need to That's understand right. what's going on. That's right. Do you think so? I hear you about gatekeepers. I do think that there are lots of indie authors who do run their world like a publishing house in that they get the editors and, and other folks. Yes. But I hear what you're saying. Yes. Um, but do you think that now there are more opportunities for different voices to be heard and to yes. be read in publishing? Sure. And I think that's all good. And um and I think it's very important. And I think I'll tell you one of the reasons that Ballantyne came to Seal Press and said we'd like to buy those books uh, is because they did well. And this was at a time, I mean, this this was a, there weren't a lot of, I mean, I can't think of very many lesbian mysteries that were out when I first started writing. No. Um but I did hit a certain crest of interest in that, which lasted for about 10 minutes. And then everybody that I knew was dropped and I wasn't, I don't know why I think there were a number of reasons, but I, I fundamentally don't understand why I was able to create a career when a lot of my friends were not able to, but um, who were very good writers, Mm -hmm. by the way. I mean, but um, I don't know. Well, we hope that now things that are happening aren't a fad, um, that they're a trend, that it keeps going. And that's, you know, because there are um, there's so much attention paid to LBGTQ writers or to writers of color or to, you know, other underrepresented voices. But we I don't I really don't want this to be a fad. I want this to be the future. And exactly. um, And I worry because I I'm old enough to have seen several trends go away. How can we make sure that this is the future? Because these, you know, all of these voices are who we are. I mean, it's, it's exactly right. It's a multicultural look at, at the world in, in a way that I think New York was very resistant to and probably still is. Um, I mean, early on when I, when I seal press dropped me, uh, they decided they could no longer publish mysteries, and so I was they going hat in hand to uh, New York and ask, you know, is there, would you pick up my series? And the answer for quite a while, for a couple of years, was no. And I, I still, I when we moved a few years ago, I found this letter. It was from a major editor at, I think it was Bantam at the time, and she, the letter said, well, we we would be interested in. Pu- perhaps publishing a book by Ellen Hart, but we can't take her lesbian series because we just bought a, um, a gay series, mystery series. And we think if we buy one with a woman detective, lesbian detective, um, that it will confuse the stale staff. And she said, so, you know, have her send us something else. Well, (laughs) I mean, to me, that was the most ludicrous, you know, and it's it's those sorts of mainstream things that stop writers, multicultural writers, because they aren't mainstream, because mm-hmm. they're doing something different or they are other mm-hmm. in some sense. And of course, that's a problem. And I agree that that um, self-publishing or 
um, publishing through small presses. That has kept writing and kept diversity alive in this country when mainstream presses were saying, nope, not happening here. Go away. Wow. You know. Yeah. So hopefully that the change, because I have seen changes there, yeah. but hopefully they, they will stay and not. Yes. <laughs> um, so you mentioned this a little bit, but as we're wrapping up our conversation, you've given so many great pieces of advice and, and um, talked so honestly about your own writing career. Um, but And you touched on community a little bit, but can you talk about the importance of community to writers? Oh, I think it's vital. Um, you know, you can't be an island. Uh, you, you, you have to... I mean, I know in terms of process that there are writers who don't want to show what they're writing to anybody until it's done. Okay, I get that. But talking about craft, talking to other writers about the problems you're having, um, because every writer is going to hit things that they just can't figure out, what did I do wrong here? Mm -hmm. I, I was part of a writing group for many, many years, and I was lucky enough to be in a writing group with other mystery writers who were at a really, I think, terrific level. Uh, one of the writers had even won the National Book Award. So, I mean, I, I was very lucky recipient of their friendship and of their critique. And honestly, if if you can't take critique as a writer, then go some go do something else. Because I'll tell you, critique is is part of the process. And if you, you know, if it's critique happens before the book comes out and it happens by reviews after the book comes out. And if you don't have a thick enough skin to deal with that if if you're too much you know of a writer snowflake then go do something else because you're not going to survive and you're not going to thrive unless you can take and listen to what other people are telling you mm -hmm. about your book and think about it because you can't write a book i don't think you can write a book in isolation nor nor do you want to live in a world where i mean publishing is such an ultimately fascinating experience and the publishing world is so diverse and so i mean i have found my best friends within that writing community it has brought me so much um that just you know for the richness of your life and for the the growth of your writing you need that connection yeah. I mean, that's so important. I love that, uh, you know, for the richness of our lives and for our work, um, we need we need that connection. Um, and your point about criticism is 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 so important, but a tough skill. Did you learn that over time as well? Um, how to take criticism or was that something that because you did come to it in your mid 30s so a little bit later you know you'd you'd been a professional in the world for a while so you you know yeah um how how did you learn how to take criticism well I guess I didn't I didn't look at my writing as something I I guess I didn't think if someone critiqued my writing that they were critiquing me 
And I think that is a, you have to, that's a, that's something fundamental that if that's how you view critique, then you've got a problem. You're looking at a product, you're looking at something that you have created and, you know, maybe you think it's wonderful, but you, you've got to know that everybody's got to know that, you know, that you can make it better and that critique is important. I never, I guess I never had that sort of ego. My feeling about critique and my feeling about um, editorial notes from my editors was essentially the same from the get-go till the last book I turned in, which was they tell me what they think I should change. Uh, I mean, critique is handled in my classes and it's handled by editors in very much the same way, which is they tell you what they like about it, then there's the main part of the, <laughs> the letter where they, you know, it's the 16 pages where they tell you what they don't like about it. And then at the end, they say, oh, this is really great. And I'm sure that, you know, love to read it when you send it back, whatever. Um, so my approach to that was, okay, I will look at everything they've asked me to change. And I generally end up changing probably 90% of that. What I don't change I don't think it's anything to do with the ego, my ego. I think it has to do with how I see the book and how I feel about the book, uh, what what I'm trying to do in that book. And so that maybe that 10% I don't agree with, I then write them back, this is what I haven't changed and this is why. And then the ball is in their court. If it's a deal breaker, then we discuss it. But in the 35 books, in the 30 years that I spent uh, being edited, I've never had an editor come back and say, oh, no, you have to change that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's a negotiation. Yeah. Uh, critique is important. I mean, if you have somebody, to, if say in my classes, if say th three or four students said to another student, say who was reading that evening, we really, you know, they all come up with the same issue. Well, that that author needs to, writer needs to think about you know, if, if you have three people say some the same thing about a problem in your work, then it's a problem. Yeah. So yeah. you have to learn if it doesn't come naturally, naturally to you, you really do have to learn how to, how to take it and view it as not personal, but as everybody trying to get that book to where it needs to be to get published. Yeah. So great advice. Well, um, you had lucky students and we have, we're all lucky readers because we have so many Ellen Hart books to read and to enjoy. And I am so grateful for this conversation. Thank you so much, Ellen. Thank you for being with us today. Sisters in Crime is about community. We were founded to advocate for women crime writers, and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community. Sisters in Crime is an international inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast.